Oh, nothing getting you true. Uh, no, yeah, I am. I like I said, I'm a you know artist, podcaster, writer, printmaker, um, failed academic, as I always say. Um, but yeah, I I started off um, in I guess you could say the reactionary blog sphere and tw the Twitterati, um, frog Twitter. That's you know the colloquial term for that era of mm -hmm. poster, and uh, yeah, I started off like on the ground floor there and moved my way up. And then for two years, I was a part of um, Break the Rules. And um, now I do my own thing. And uh, yeah, you can find me on YouTube channel and my, well, everyone knows me from Twitter. So yeah, um, but it's all the same. It's Twitter's Giant Geo, my YouTube, it's Giant Productions, my Patreon, patreon.com. So this is Giant Productions. So, uh, you know, give me money or manual typewriter to uh, quote Francis E. Deck. So um, yeah, yeah, man. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have, a, we'll have all the links down, uh, down the description. Um, now today, Gio has joined me to talk about Byung-Chul Han. Um, mm -hmm. I should mention that this is the second episode of the Baptizing Philosophy podcast. Uh, the point of this podcast is to put uh, philosophers who you may not think have any relevance to the Christian tradition into dialogue with our tradition. Um, and yeah, uh, cause most of my videos, uh, well, not most, but a, a few of my videos so far have sort of been um, going down this path of oh. of trying to trying to do this. And I thought I would start the podcast just to bring other people on to see what they have to say. Um, so, yeah, Byung-Chul Han, he is um, I would say he's pretty underrated, at least in the English speaking world. He's um, he's actually pretty well known in Europe. So I've mm. I've heard um, mm. some of the main themes of his work is um, psychopolitics. I think that's a term he coined. Yes. Um, uh, the atomization of society, neoliberalism, uh, yeah, all that stuff. So yeah, we're just going to get into this. And, um, so I don't know, maybe do you want to start, start off maybe talking about what Han has to say about the atomization of society, mm -hmm. the loss of communal bonds, all that stuff in neoliberalism. Like what have you, uh, what do you find of value in that respect from, from Han? Oh, well, I was going to start off with, uh, Maybe you talking about yourself a little bit, like your education oh, sure. background, but okay. Um, no, you're, I can't, you're yeah. Orthodox, or um, I'm Orthodox, yeah. Um, I'm a Catholic myself, but you know, yeah, I have a lot yeah. of friends who are Orthodox. Cool. I've contemplated Orthodoxy, but you know, being Italian, I don't know. That's kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't want it. Yeah, your ancestors will. Well, um, I'm uh, yeah, I'm Orthodox. Um, I don't have any formal educational background. I'm I actually just graduated high school, so mm. um. I don't, I'm not really planning on ha doing anything. Uh, but you've had, like, else. you've had, like, l legit, like, scholars and professors on. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I was watching your channel, and you know, the production value as well. Like, you know, my, I'm very basic, nuts and bullets. Uh, <laughs> I may, I may be doing some intros with my friend Gifts and Given soon, but um, no, I'm, I'm very much like Kino Dogma 2007 type, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> podcasting. But uh, no, yeah, man, your channel's great. I was, I was binging some last night. I mean, oh, thank you. Before, like you contacted me, and um, no, that's great. You've been you've carved out a niche for yourself, uh, and you're young too. Like I just said, I was going to turn thirty this year, you know, uh, the twenty third. But you know, I mean, I'm impressed. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. So, well, basically, I just like philosophy. Um, I decided decided to start making video essays. Um, I'm trying to move away from the video essays and yeah. more towards more towards the pot i found though that if you want to get views like for me it's video like my uh my actually my highest viewed video is um 
Um, the Zizek one, the the. Was it it, ideology one? Well, yeah, yeah, it's 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 Zizek is one of them. I think right now, actually, it just surpasses is the uh, Byung-Chul Han one on the Agony of Eros. Oh, um, that's I, right. Yeah. I don't know if you've read that one. That's one of my. I've favorite. read I've read the first few essays, but I have to go through all of it because mm. um, me, I'm I, I go through um, I've gone through all of psychopolitics mm-hmm. on my Patreon, and mm-hmm. now I'm almost done on my Patreon um, infoocracy. So. I guess to explain, like my flagship podcast is ge- content minded, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have this series called Generative Views, which was mostly just on Patreon. But I figured, like, that I'm I'm doing it like two, three hours, you know, extra a week, yeah. including my other podcast I have with Prudentialist, which is live stream, uh, the Digital Archipelago, where we talk about internet culture and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of schizo stuff and art. You know, uh, we reviewed we reviewed uh, anime and. Uh, <laughs> You know, a new uh, LGBT cinemas. <laughs> you name it, we've done it all. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, but so I release a portion every week to my audience, usually around Sunday or Monday. And mm-hmm. so uh, I've I'm going through the last bits of Infoocracy, which is his newest one. But no, I I have most Young Han books. But um, Agony of Eros is very interesting. Um, the way he talked, you know, taking on that analysis from Heidegger in terms of. And again, like the scent of time, it's sort of like the erotic is a time which lingers, which is mm-hmm. very much something that is in, in a lot of ways being destroyed nowadays by the sort of pornification of all life. Yeah. That's, yeah. But anyways, you asked me about um, atomization, and I guess that's a good topic. So yeah, um, on my Patreon, I did like, I think in total, I had like 10 hours reviewing psychopolitics word by word. So nice. uh, chapter by chapter. So um atomization is sort of a interesting thing so i think the the as you know the quickest way to explain would be to take the references that byung-chul han builds upon which is mostly foucault heidegger agamben um you could see you know shades of satra there a little bit mm-hmm. even yours particular but when it comes to psychopolitics what byung-chul han is doing which is really revolutionary is byung-chul han the way that Agamben did in the 80s and 90s uh, is taking up the mantle of Foucauldian genealogy and he is deconstructing it from its from the inside, more or less. Yeah. So uh, so how what does that look like? Essentially, Foucault is talking about, you know, the big concept of biopower, right? And biopolitics. And later he would call governmentality, which is the biological administration of whole bodies of a populace. Right. But it's very much the somatic level. It's very much on the surface of the body itself. The regulation of the body, the the time, time is crucially important. Even, you know, um, this is even what the, you know, um Deleuze would pick up on. And of course, Pyongyang has a background in Deleuze. So basic societies of control, right? You know, in the in the 90s, uh before um was YouTube friendly term. Before Dula's uh, sunsetted himself, mm-hmm. um, yeah. he wrote Society's Control, which is essentially looking at the body as a vector of information that is then slotted and organized by power itself. That you know, this is not conspiratorial. That's the the backbone of Michel Foucault. It's very much power operates on the site of it. It operates as um, through discourse, through power knowledge, what Foucault calls. Right. But all of this is very much of the body. It's very much what he calls allo exploitive. Byung-Chul Han. Mm-hmm. But what Byung-Chul Han does is he says, in terms of modern information networks, this is 
inwardly exploitative. This becomes what he calls psychopower or psychopolitics. So no longer is it biopower, but now it is the penetration of power within the most intimate regions of the psyche. And why is this? Because of the information age, because of the digital age, or what you could call, what some have called, I, I like the term hypertechnics. This allows a purview, an avenue into the collective mind and the individual human mind itself. But it's very interesting because this is participatory. So all the sort of Foucauldian analysis that he talks about panopticism and the regulation of the body from the outside, all of this is participatory. You freely give this information to this sort of organization of power that is digital. But when it comes to the digital reality, as Byung Chohan explicates in Psychopolitics, it, you know, it's it's sort of like when Foucault, and I had this professor once, I always used to say this, where he said, um, you know, it's sort of like when power shoots through the body so much that, you know, power constitutes a subject. Well, now psychic power, um, psychopolitics constitutes the subject to the point where, you know, you your, your self is so laid bare that it's rendered inside out or what, you know, Dillas would call unfolding mm -hmm. to the point where all it is, is just psychopolitics. All you are is essentially the sea of data that is, you know, the online reality uh, that we're that basically has consumed the real to the point where, you know, there's nothing, that's not that there's nothing left of it. It's just that there's an indistinguishable, uh, how shall I say it? There's a zone of impermeability between the real and the online and the digital. It's like, there's no difference between the two, more or less, to the point where it's indistinguishable between each other. That's, yeah, there you go. So, I mean, I've ranted for a long time, I guess, if you want to add, I mean, maybe well, I'm just like, too general when I'm- No, no, that was, yeah, that, that was a good summary of, of, of Han, like what he's doing with the, um taking up the Foucauldian project of analyzing power. And I definitely, one of his most unique ideas and probably the most, um. Uh, relevant to social theory and political theory is the idea yeah. of, of psychopolitical uh, control, which is, um, I don't know uh, what the word would be, like nuanced, much more um, and much more um, effective as yes. a mode of control because you have this, um, you have this illusion of freedom. Now, um, I don't know. I'm just freedom gonna... is a linchpin of it, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I could. Show. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we can get into that because, well, one of the big, um, if we're gonna try to maybe turn this, uh, uh towards a Christian perspective, uh, mm -hmm. really quick, um, one of the, um, a, a really important idea in, um, in Christianity is the our understanding of freedom, and mm -hmm. it's not we don't just have this universalist neoliberal uh freedom, right? And it's like. Like mm -hmm. even in that uh, verse, all the liberals like um, uh, there is no uh, man or woman, uh, nor Jew, nor Greek in Christ. It's like that's not a – this is like uh, it, there, there's freedom in this particular – in Christ, right? Like, like in right. the – in the like it's a, it's not just a statement of, of universal freedom. Um, and there is a sense I think like it, where we would understand this sort of freedom that neoliberalism has as actually a form of domination, of slavery to um, – the passions to yeah. um and and I think Han is really good at that with um with his understanding of freedom as this actually a, a more uh a subtle form of of slavery a more subtle yeah. subtle form of domination so maybe uh you want to get into that sure um you know what's funny about that is uh go, you know it's relevant because this is how I started on the uh 
was Bronze Age Pervert called the Intranuts, right? Um, I was one of my essays was featured on the main page of this video artist called Nobody TM. That was like really one of the last true video art. Um, I, it was a whole group of people, but I I got to talk to the head editor, and this very became very popular in 4chan. And the most popular video of Nobody TM, you can look this up because there's archives on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the site was nuked because Nobody TM felt that you know the project was completed because I think the whole world became like a Nobody TM edit all the time. You know, <laughs> if you if you looked at one, you know what I mean. But it was this video. It was called You Y O U. And by the way, this is how I think E. Michael Jones got very popular. There was a video called You. It blew up around the chans where it was a video of like it was, you know, he would make his own music and everything. But it was a video of these uh, one of these like twerking classes, like all these white women twerking. Mm -hmm. But over it was a lecture by E. Michael Jones where he yeah, where he was talking about. This um, it was a radio interview he did promoting his book *Libido Dominandi*, mm-hmm. which is essentially about that how freedom is slavery. And he was talking about how, um, basically, you know, if you go by the letters of Saint Paul, you know, um, even most major Western philosophers from Plato onward, the idea of unbounded freedom of the subject being a source of vice, being a source of one's own, um. What's that word they use in Revelation? Um, there's damnation, but then there's another one, Asian. Oh, what's it called? Um, fruition or something? Yeah. Um, ruination. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Yeah, in yeah. that, uh, or something like that. I have to look up the exact term. But in in a sense, one's own capacity for, be, you know, even Huxley said this behavioral freedom leads to an, a sort of total ignorance of what you would say the true freedom of the soul is, Mm -hmm. which as we know is not freedom um, in most Christian theology. I mean, judging by Catholic and Orthodox theology, Mm -hmm. uh, freedom is something that is a necessary requirement because God has given us free will, but this is a requirement to follow the law, right? Yeah. That Christ fulfilled of that covenant, right? Through his supreme sacrifice, the ending of all other sacrifices, which we can get into how Byung Chohan also talks about Gerard in that regard. Sure. But nowadays we have what Byung Chohan calls entrepreneurial freedom, which is the freedom to make oneself. That Foucault, near the end of his life, when he died of the Saliforum's disease of his own freedom, uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm as much as I love Foucault. Yes, I know he was a degenerate. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I understand. The, the thing in Tunisia, we're not going to talk about it for yeah, YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're not going to talk about it for YouTube. Uh, <laughs> the thing that happened in Tunisia, allegedly, allegedly happened in Tunisia. Anyways, um, Foucault, you know, thought that there was sort of a creation of the self through these acts of aesthetic comportment that one takes upon in your own life. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, then later people like Agamben would come up and say, well, you know, Foucault, everything's about the orgy. Everything's about this orgiastic expression of freedom and, and parisia, truth-telling, uh, the care of the self through its own artistic creation. But then Agamben's like, who cares? It's like, you know, okay, yeah, we have uh, one global universal. Him and Bojer both would say, yeah, we have one global universal orgy going on all the time, but it's like, are we really free? Yeah. Right? So anyways, how this relates to you, Michael Jones he gave a good example in this talk that was clipped up by nobody TM 
where he used an example of during the Intifada, and I believe it was 2002, because the one then the one in um, in Ramallah, um, because there was one in 2002, the one in 2006. I had a friend there actually. It was in 2006. I went to school with, but it was uh, conducted by that one particular nation in the East that I'm kind of uncomfortable saying on, on YouTube, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know the one, right? You know, yeah, you yeah. Know. So essentially what they did when they entered into Ramallah is, and what they usually do, the IDF, what they usually do is they impose curfews, they restrict resources, um, they they have allotments for foodstuffs and, uh, you know, they take out quite a few of the civilian infrastructure, just to put it lightly. But what they did was when they imposed a curfew on people, they hide, the first thing they did, the IDF did, was they took control of the radio and television stations. And what did they do with the television stations? They broadcasted pornography, hmm. right? right? All the time, 24-7. Mm-hmm. Why would they do this? Why would they do this psychological operation? And of course, E. Michael Jones, um, and you know, let me preface this by saying that E. Michael Jones has some very controversial takes <laughs> on, on those uh, the particular group of people. Yeah. Um, to, to remain nameless, but you know who, guessing which one. We're not going to um, say what time, when, what people they are. Exactly, but you can guess. Yeah. But so I'm not. I'm not. Listen, I don't condone. You know, I as Bap says, I'm liberal. I'm liberal. Uh, but, <laughs> um. So, but anyways, he says that why did the IDF do this? It's because the constant bombardment of the sort of the the pornographic image becomes in itself a form of demoralization, and it becomes in its own way a humiliation ritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that that came from another far right figure uh, who who's part of a certain podcast network. His name is Borzy. He came up with that term, humiliation ritual. But it's funny though. But when you actually do analyze it, it's a testament to the whole thesis of libido dominandi that uh, essentially the sort of freedom that's provided to us by liberal modernity and that's facilitated by the various techniques of the sort of post Gutenberg galaxy. That in itself is a way of basically condemning the soul to an endless want and pursuit. And Byung Chul Han, you know, you um, you were saying about how we, you know, and other people have said this to me as well. Um, one of it is another friend who's a podcaster. His name is a Digital Numina. He's like, you know, Byung Chul Han's a secret Christian thinker, right? I go, yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But then the more I read it, especially Burnout Society and Psychopolitics, you can easily see how what Byung-Chul Han calls the entrepreneurial self that is essentially caught up in this boundless, ungirded, oceanic sense of freedom, that that in itself is a form of condemnation of what, you know, you could experience as a true self. And so Byung-Chul Han, he does something that is very interesting when it comes to a lot of other Christian thinkers in general. And a lot of like, you know, I mean, as much as you could say it's a boomer attitude, you know, especially in infoocracy, uh, his latest book, he makes it more explicit from psychopolitics, where he talks about how there was this originary sort of sense of the self that was created mutually through the Habermasian notion of communicative rationality, communicative action, where discourse is freely given. Discourse is how we arrive at our own sense of self. But when he talks about digital rationality, when he talks about what he calls dataism, where data is the only predicate of worth, where your own self-creation is the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. You're constantly in a web of creating your own self without end. Then this disrupts 
what is the guarantor of the self, which is communicative rationality. And so in a way, Byung Chohan harkens back to a Christian notion of the self being one that is guaranteed by that sort of experience of being of the Imagio die, right? Of a higher creation. But this mm-hmm. can only be been brought about from community, from sort of a certain grace that guarantees us or authenticity. But again, I don't want to say that Byung Chohan is like a crypto trad Christian yeah. or whatever. I'm just saying that <laughs> We're doing an an intellectual exercise of saying that how can one of the most what I believe one of the most prescient modern philosophers that is living today, uh, how can he relate to something that is very much within um, apostolic Christianity in terms of tradition, in terms of how the sort of Christian you know Christum Christendom views the subject <laughs> as something of an essential being, right, mm-hmm. and something that is being disrupted by very much the machinations of modernity there's a lot of like and and of course some of it does come off as like you know jordan peterson boomer posting like i mean recently with jordan peterson and you mentioned this in your recent video about you know going (laughs) going off on anons you know and here's the thing like i you know i use my real name and face but you know most of my friends are anons most of the people i interact Mm -hmm. with every day like anonymity is sort of one of those very tricky subjects to broach because it's a necessity because of the apparatuses of power yeah. and discourse nowadays. But it's one of those things that, you know, it, when we lived, listen, if we lived in based world, our enemies would have to be in, <laughs> put it yeah. that way, but yeah. we don't live in base world. We're for, <laughs> but base world could be within reach, but you know, that's, that's another topic for another time. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I just, I rambled on too much. Go, yeah. Go well, well, one thing you were touching on was um the, the the notion of community and uh communal mm-hmm. bonds and obviously we're talking about atomization which is uh sort of well the destruction of community but there is um uh, something that neoliberalism is really good at is packaging something uh in the well packaging um something in the form of what it is not like packaging freedom yes. but it's actually slavery and one of those yes. things i think is community um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and especially with the notion of diversity i think this is han at his most conservative whatever you want to call it um his critique of let's diversity. call it crypto reactionary that yeah yeah. yeah exactly yeah. yeah well i mean zizek makes a similar critique like diversity is um the no the neoliberal diverse diversity um is actually um a destruction of otherness it doesn't yeah. actually and this is something that um that han really likes to emphasize that um um, the other and true otherness is necessary for experience, like the experience of the negativity of the other. This is probably yes. this is like the central point of of agony of eros. The and burnout society as well. That's really okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, this is this is a necessary um, component of experience itself, or else you just get pure positivity, which is like digital information. But digital information, there's no experience in a computer. Doesn't have true experience. It, it doesn't think because. Thinking is right. based on um, negativity and um, and uh, the confrontation and the experience of otherness. Um, I don't know. Do you have uh, Do you have any thoughts on that? Like oh yeah, the, yeah. Tons of thoughts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny because he talks a little bit about AI and psychopolitics, about how the algorithm, or rather algorithms, they can become better at computationally amalgamating different networks of facts together based on signifiers, mm-hmm. but they don't have the potential to truly make connections the way that the human mind does. The way that, for example, 
the creation of the work of art can connect certain psychical, I would say even spiritual ideas towards an, an object of affect, right? I mean, creating a world as Heidegger would say, mm -hmm. uh, the AI program, like the AI artwork stuff, like that, they can't do that. They, they can only yeah. at best do an approximation of a command sequence that more or less rips off other artists, right? But when it comes to Eros though, again, because I'm probably um, one of the more hyper online, uh, terminally online people that you've interviewed, but um, my my one friend, she was actually on Breakthrough Rules a few times. I think her handle was Chaotic It Girl. And she had this tweet once, and I believe she deactivated, but uh, she had this tweet once that blew up for the wrong reasons because all these irony leftists got a hold of it. And uh, she said that, you know, true eroticism cannot happen without sexual dimorphism, without difference, without the sort of difference between a masculine and a feminine. And of course, all the hideous schools with, you know, the, the furry avatars and the, you know, flag and pronouns and the bile, you know, those types, mm -hmm. they like just destroyed her and she had to like deactivate for a little bit. This was a year, a year ago. But it's funny because when you read the agony of Eros, and I think I brought this up to her when we were online, uh, when we were doing a live stream, you know, Bang Chohan says the same thing is that true eroticism is obliterated by the lack of difference mm -hmm. and the lack of difference, lack of confrontation of the other that was historically, you know, from Hegel onwards was seen as the seat of self-creation and of a mutual understanding of what the subject is. Mm -hmm. This is destroyed. So even let's go to your basic term, neoliberalism, right? Because I remember that, that, that lecture from Zizek where he talked about, uh, he's like, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, environmentalism, how they package it, and you buy this brand that is contributing to carbon credit. Yeah. You, uh, now your activism is there in the purchase, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And so on and so on. So, in, in other words, and you know, I'm very conflicted with Zizek because he really, during the last two years, sort of sh showed himself, you know, mm. when it comes to certain uh, medical issues. But uh, from my perspective, at least. But, anyways, Man. the point being is that when it comes to, um, this notion of packaging salvation to you. There's a lot of debate, like, especially in my circles on the political right, where we say, you know, a lot of people would say that neoliberalism isn't real. That's a term of our enemies. That's not like, it's essentially masking the conspiracy that is, you know, against, um, Christians against right, white people, right, against right. tradition, you know, well, I, our... I guess it's, it's a question of deliberate yeah. intent and then, the more yes. like it's just the system it's just the way exactly. it goes right yeah I, when i was reviewing psychopolitics i actually had this rant that i released publicly on my channel uh i think no i have to actually do that um where it was um basically like the, the bronze age pervert view which is that which is it's ignoring the deliberate destruction of these right. traditions and these organs of western civilization by certain forces and then the other side which is the post-left which is it's all commodification, it's all atomization, it's neoliberalism. It's taking what was historically a leftist critique and giving it to a more reactionary audience because of course the post-left has become politically homeless. And this includes, mm -hmm. you could even say this includes the Hazosphere, the patriotic socialist people, right. the, you know, the people that talk about class interests and class issues. And, you know, we don't care about that woke stuff, you know, and I'm friends with a lot of them, but a lot of them uh, anyways, but you know, these, the, these alliances online are never truly 
um, yeah. stable. And that, and Byung Chul Han actually does mention that, by the mm-hmm. way, in 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 Volocracy, why these online quote unquote communities are filled are porous and filled with contradictions and dissolve very quickly at hyper speeds. Um, there's a whole war going on right now between BAP and a certain other section of the political <laughs> right that is filled with Zoomers. But, you know, the point being is that um, when it comes down to how you present what is a true source of significance, these are all just palliatives that the neoliberal regime throws to. So, for example, Young Han has this chapter called Healing is Killing, which is amazing, amazing tough, very death metal. Healing mm-hmm. it, is killing, right? So... <laughs> which argues that the self-help industry or self-helpism or I have, I wrote this article back in the day when I was on WordPress, I'm on Substack now, but it was about, you know, that phrase self-care, yeah. right? Uh, I had this article, it's, you could find it uh, called living in the self-care universe where it was like this communist LARPer with pronouns in the bio talking about like uh, emotional labor and like how, like the, the, even the term emotional labor is sort of like ostensibly a leftoid form of framing every interaction. Like there's, you know, absolutely insane people like Sophie Lewis that wrote that book, uh, Full Surrogacy Now, that talks about, you know, the, 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 uh, the labor of maternity and how that should be commodified. But really, these people rebelling against commodification are consenting to the logic of commodification. So yeah. for example, when Byung Chul Han critiques the self-help industry, he does this thing where he quotes um, Hegel talking about the importance of suffering. And he quotes Tony Robbins that talks about the obliteration of suffering. Yeah. And so when suffering was historically seen as character building, I mean, so again, this is Byung Chul Han being a crypto Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the point being is that, you know, a, a good example would be, you know, yes, the self-help industry. But another good example would be, um, let's say, on the one hand, you have sex positivity. Um, well, my good friend, uh, Catherine D., default friend, you know, the the writer, yeah. she she calls it a 2010 sexuality, um, you know, a sex posi feminism, yeah. right? Now, when you actually look at it, the, the rhetoric is that you are liberating women to make sexual choices because they can, you know, become beings of pleasure like men historically, right? But when you actually look at it, who benefits from this? Do the vast majority of women benefit from it? No. The vast majority of men? No. A very select few number of men benefit from this because essentially it's destroying the confines of what eroticism and uh, intimacy and relationships were between men and women, but it does it in such a way by basically hijacking the instincts of women and turning them into essentially dysfunctional gigolo men by going on Tinder. And, and, you know, a lot of these dating apps, of course, were modeled on Grindr, the Mm -hmm. the gay dating app. And of course that's very problematic. That's something that, you know, when you talk about the sort of, even the ignorance of how, for example, gay men um, initiate sexuality as opposed to straight women, these questions can never be answered by the regime or mm-hmm. a- even asked by the regime because that's problematic because we have to assume that there is no difference between a gay man and a straight woman or a gay, you know, lesbian and whatever, a trans man, you know, all of it's just the gray goo. Right. But when it comes to sexual exploitation of women, 
in a way, it provides a more sophisticated version of it by packaging it as liberation, by saying that the right. value of women is essentially just their sexuality, more or less, or their mm -hmm. ability to initiate this, this sort of, you know, the sexual gaze is their only worth. But it's not saying that. It's saying that by women embracing that sexual gaze, therefore, ergo, they're liberated. They're, you know, girl bosses that don't need no man. That you know that that works for some corporation and some daycare job. Yeah, you know, you you've seen those cold healing TikToks, right? Where yeah, uh, yeah. cold heal, yeah, you know, where yeah. it's all and all of those are just marketing scams. Let's face it, they're just yeah, it's to attract young women to become mm -hmm. corporate slaves, more or less. But there you go, there you go. The girl boss is the perfect psychopolitical subject soldier right. of the regime right. because the girl boss consents to de degrading labor that only men used to do but does it in a way that feminizes the workplace to where it's all about meetings and feelings and blah 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 but what it does is that it puts a supplicant of true human interaction that was expressed within the erotic uh you know intimate union between men and women now the corporation fills that role by giving women in these girl bosses you know meaningless uh signifiers and for a long time the girl boss was essentially desexualized because they were like the, you know, Hillary Clinton pantsuit. Right. Yeah. That was an older version. Yeah. But the modern girl boss does her sexual liberation on the weekend and, you know, bangs the intern. But she also is a quote unquote productive corporate subject as well. Mm. So yeah. you have like girl boss sexuality is essentially and, and the way that you have to plan it out and the way that you sort of structure your sexual trysts and your work schedule. All of that is the sort of that rational psychopolitical brain of that you find in, you know, various other organs, what Adorno would call instrumental reason, right? That's yeah. applied to sexuality. Polyamory. Why do you think Silicon Valley people are like into this poly stuff? You you have flow charts of who you're going to sleep with that night. That is essentially the instrumentalization of Eros, which Byung Chohan mm -hmm. talks about. Mm -hmm. So if you want to say that Byung Chohan's a sort of crypto christian thinker i mean this is very this is you know maybe in starker language this is something that you know a saint would have written about in a way like a, you know right. saint paul for instance i mean this right. but you think of the monstrous world that this is creating that you know real human relations are predicated upon these sort of corporatized maxims uh, right. it's, it's, anyways, I'm ranting right now. I'm, I'm very sorry. So yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that was great. <laughs> um, I think something, um, we could, uh, focus on, which, um, uh, Han actually talks about a lot, um, especially in, uh, the agony of Eros is, uh, the modern notion of authenticity, mm -hmm. um, actually, maybe it's not uh, Agony and Varus, but whatever, authenticity and its relation to um, what you're talking about with uh, uh, liberation and um, all these these ideals. Um, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned St. Paul, because obviously um, one of uh, St. Paul's central themes is that to find your authentic self is mm -hmm. to be in Christ, right? Is to right. Um, be in this community. And when you have that I higher ideal, then you ha are able to have a hierarchy of of an objective morality and all this stuff because right. it's basically how um to what degree do you embody your telos your the ideal which is obviously is christ so um from a christian pr perspective authenticity finding yourself is not it, yourself is not some deep hidden gnostic inner truth that you need to find um yeah, nor is yeah. it no, nor mm -hmm. is it expressed in um some form of uh 
just expressing yourself outwardly, you know, like liberating yourself from whatever oppressive systems, whatever, like the girl boss right. stuff, whatever, uh, whatever form it takes. Um, so I think authenticity is a, I, I really like um, Han's critique of authenticity. Zizek basically has the exact same critique. Um, yes. Actually, what Zizek says um, about his critique of transgender ideology is that there's this idea that, that um, transgender people have that if they only, um, uh, do the surgery or whatever they're going to find their authentic self right. meanwhile if you actually look at the statistics uh more uh, there's more suicides after uh transitioning the 40 percent um, meme yeah, yeah 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 right so like so like um authenticity is not which found. is tragic we people make fun of it online but it is, it is incredibly tragic no yeah it is tragic and like as a christian Zizek, you should feel you should pray for these people yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah and and well zizek is not a christian so what he says is that, oh yeah he's well, well i mean his god is stalin maybe but you know exactly yeah. yeah he 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 basically wants he he actually has a very like this is something i've in all my videos i've made on zizek zizek has a very good um uh philosophy of the fall like he he is a yes. good um description of the fall but what he does like if you actually read less than nothing um reconciliation like hegelian reconciliation absolute knowing is just mm -hmm. accepting the necessity of the fall it's just yes in, yes but obviously for us there is a way out of the fall i and, and mm -hmm. but when you mm -hmm. don't when you're like zizek and you um and you don't believe in any form of authenticity for Zizek, there is no true self. All you are are this desiring being chasing after what isn't ultimately there. And yeah, Jacques sex Lacan, and the absolute he goes into as well. Exactly, yeah, like the object, you can't find it. So there is no true authenticity for Zizek. I think this is better than the neoliberal idea that somehow you'll find your true authentic self deep down or in whatever um, hedonistic mm -hmm. activities you. Um, want to chase after but i think this is another um connection that han has with christianity where um in the same in the same way we would say true authenticity is not found um well it's only found in christ in community i think han would say something similar but with han mm -hmm. it's more of a he, he's more on the critique side than the positive he's more, well he's you know, more of a heideggerian when he talks about community and dwelling too mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. yeah do you want to get into that yeah sure well i think like when it comes to zizak um, by the way, I, I I ended up paying $90 to go see him debate Jordan Peterson back in the day. I live tweeted it. So really my money, money nice. well spent. Um, but anyways, uh yeah, it was it was quite exciting. It was that was really the the heyday of like the you know bro bro theory solo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Zizek is interesting because if I recall in less than nothing, you know, taking off from Hegel there's sort of recognition that there's no end to the dialectic, right? There's no end to like absolute spirit realizes itself, but then what? like there's that debate within Hegelian scholarship, if there is an eschatology, right? I mean, right. some people say no. I mean, maybe Zizek would say no, that mm -hmm. there is no like final terminus point, but I think Hegel, the man, um, he still was like a Lutheran, if I recall. I agree. So, yeah. 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 Um, But in terms of his philosophic system, uh, but Hegel, you know, when it comes to Zizek, it's interesting how he leaves off on the middle period of Foucault, even though he hates, you know, Deleuze and he critiques the sort of French continental theorists. He still has very similar take to the middle period of Foucault. But then Foucault was later appropriated by the neoliberals, um, you know, during the care of the self period, which was before he, you know, and the, when the stuff he was doing in the 80s, which led to his death by, as I said, the Saliforum's disease, uh, um, you know, so... But you were talking about community and how um, 
the sort of commodification of being provides a false sense of that. Like when you read Byung Chohan, you do notice, you do pick up his sense from Heidegger of dwelling and of a dwelling that resists in framing and framing being what modern techniques and technology, this is the question concerning technology, um, you know, in framing being every aspect of life through this critical rationality of techniques being essentially reduced to standing reserve. And the human subject later on becomes reduced to nothing more but standing reserve, the way that we talk about whole populations. But when it comes to the authenticity of a community, one that can truly exhibit what you know Heidegger will call dwelling, which is the sense of a place that is rooted in our recognition of our mortality on the one end, which is the time aspect, but also the recognition of what we mutually create through culture and through the sort of enculturation that happens that is specifically tied to the geography and the location of somewhere. Um, but what was the second part to your question about, you wanted to ask about that train of thinking? I'm starting to forget now. Um, um, you mentioned was, Zizek about- Was it, was it on authentic same... authenticity? Yeah, so Zizek believes that there's no such thing as authenticity. So he you know, more or less believes in what um, Adorno called the cult of authenticity. Yeah. And, you know, of course, that leads to fascism. So that's bad. You know, that's wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. But but when it comes to Byung Chohan, what's interesting is that he gives a space to recognize that, you know, there can be an authenticity, but it's very complicated. And in a way, the you know, at the very end of psychopolitics, he has this chapter on idiotism where you sort of become like a sort of neo-Socratic subject where you essentially habituate yourself to an openness towards life that is kind of similar to in Christianity, you have the idea of the holy fool, right? Right. And right. in Zen Buddhism, you have the idea of the furabu, which is like the, the Zen wanderer, which mm -hmm. is sort of like the homeless vagrant vagabond that sort of takes life as it comes. And so Byung Chohan is saying, well, you know, you can't really escape psychopolitics. You can, I mean, even if you were to like go offline and touch grass and it's like whatever these irony left people say it's like touch grass you know yeah. like go and go to a bush party oh the the best one actually is uh oh go and have sex right yeah but it's like no but even going and having sex is still influenced by what happens in this hyper technical apparatus what right. happens in the online world happens in real life and vice versa there is no separate that's hyper reality that's the spectacle of society that mm -hmm. Baudrillard you know took off from Debord which is you know like uh what does Debord say like the spectacle essentially consumes the real and the real consumes the spectacle yeah. same with the online world so Byung Chuan's like well you can't really escape because even if you were to log off even if you were to go to some monastery the world will still go on without you right. and you will still be subject to its machinations so when it comes to the creation of community this is one thing I kind of disagree with Ben Chohan is that you're going to have to find a way to create an online community. What we're doing right now is probably an example of that. You know, like, I mean, yeah, we we're both Leafs, right? Unfortunately, but mm -hmm. it's like, you know, say you weren't, say you were like a lot of my friends who are, you know, across the pond in, in England or yeah. other parts of Europe or who are in America who are hundreds of miles away. So it's like, I think the problem is that it comes to the creation of community through, and again, this is what Byung Chalhan says in, in, in Philocracy, okay? This is the problem. And this is something that I, you know, as someone who is a proponent of taking the online world seriously, 
because my God, look at me. I mean, come on, you know, I mean, I'm a creature of the internet. Just look at me. I look <laughs> ridiculous. So, <laughs> but I love it though. I love it. Um, no, but he says something. It's this one chapter. What chapter is? Let me look it up. It's um, it's called uh, not digital rationality. Oh, the end of communicative action. That's the chapter. So he says, okay. And he mentions Trump in 2016, which I blew my mind. Right, like mm-hmm. it just having been a product of that. Even though I'm Canadian, you know, still like the whole what's that term from Virilio? Let's call it the digital Hiroshima that was. Yeah. Trumpism in 2016, mm-hmm. the the way that we look upon it with reverence. There is this one frog. I, I will always quote this in every podcast because it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. It comes from the frog Twitter poster. His name was Minoquion 4. He had this tweet where he says, ever since 2016, we will always look for whispers and murmurs of it coming again. It is our bane. It Wait, is what do you say? It is our curse. It is our blessing. Yeah. To take up 2016. And I always thought that was so profound. I mean, what do you think this whole thing that's happening right now with a certain global mm-hmm. rapper? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's basically trying to revive the spirit of 2016. So yeah. the reason I mentioned this is Byung Chul Han says, okay, what happens when people, and he used 2016 Donald Trump as an example. Hmm. What happens when you take an online community? And he mentions, maybe he's read by stuff, because I only use this term, the online, <laughs> right? The e-right. Yeah, he yeah. used the term the e right, the online right, right. So mm-hmm. maybe who knows? Maybe he's got a lurker account. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to the e right, especially also other online communities, right? Not like from left to right to you, you name it. Like people that write video essays. <laughs> you know, what is the thing that unites us all? What brings us together in the absence of real community? In the absence of something that brings us together? Knowledge and knowledge transfer. Mm-hmm. And knowledge diffusion. He actually uses the term red pill. He says, okay, what is the red pill? Red pill is knowledge. Right. It's But more than that, it's knowing something that carries with it the signifier that you are a part of a community and a group. Mm-hmm. To be red pilled means that you are hip to what the in-group is online. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it, when it comes to like the world of dataism and psychopolitics, that's not a very good or stable um, basis of community because all you have is just knowledge diffusion. And that in itself becomes this weird source of authenticity because it's like, if you're not woke on, um, if you're not woke on the woman question, you're not woke on that other question of that other group of people, then it's like, who, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're blue pilled, you're cringe or you're fed by the way. That's another, you know, so, Knowledge becomes this price you pay to enter into an online community, more or less. Mm -hmm. But that in itself leads to the same problems that we have with psychopolitics, with big data, with the sort of uh, commodification and the sort of splaying out and laying bare of all life, you know, online, the participatory panopticon that we're always sunk into every day. That's the whole problem. And you mentioned hierarchy, right? Like the problem he says again is that the internet is, I mean, it kind of is in a way. I mean, there's forces that have controlled the main organs and vectors Mm -hmm. in the internet. But when it comes to actual posting, it's non-hierarchical. Yeah. Yes, there's a big account, you know, I like to think I'm there. But really, honestly, 
you could say that you're a big account, but really, are you in the grand scheme yeah. of things? Yeah. In other words, there's a decentralization to all aspects because the ocean, the the internet is an oceanic entity, more or less, right? Mm -hmm. So when you think of it, you know, there, there was this tweet that blew up the other day about uh, hearing. It's like some, you know, some TikTok like some like sassy woke person saying like hearing a white Christian old man describe heaven as classless and genderless, blah, blah, blah. Mm. That's not the case. Yeah, maybe if you're, yeah. you know, maybe if I don't know, some weirdo Protestant interpretation, like that, not yeah. even Protestants believe, you know, heaven is hierarchically organized into <laughs> celestial bodies, into a very stark kingdom, like hierarchy, monarchical mm -hmm. arrangement uh, that is approximating an aristocracy. The online world nowadays is essentially not that. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's the dispersing of all hierarchy for a horizontal model of all being itself. Yeah. That's what Bing Chohan says. And when you have that, that leads to the destruction of who your sense of self even is and yeah. what you where you fit and who you are. That is, you know, it's it's corrosive at the end of the day because you're forced to truly sort of arrange yourself within this you know non-spatial entity which is almost near impossible like you don't have if you're lost in the ocean without a sextus for instance back in you know back in the day like it's like trying to navigate the ocean just from yeah. the stars more or less yeah. yeah right yeah 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 so part of his um i don't know if you've read um in the swarm uh that book is um th that's like one of his uh books where he focuses um a lot on this question of the digital sphere and all this stuff. Um, well, I guess maybe we can touch on this since it's sort of yeah. relevant. You you sort of brought it up the uh, uh, an anonymity question. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, so obviously, uh, if you are on Twitter, you've probably seen what Jordan Peterson has the hill he's been dying on, um, which is <laughs> the... hilarious. Yeah, that's what. That's what. You know, when to go psychosis can do do not research, do not research when to go psychosis. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, well so troll demons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the problem, well, yeah. the thing is, this is something Han says as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, we may as well touch, uh, touch on it. It's like, um, and I actually, I actually made a video on this, yeah. um, on the relationship between, um, anonymity and uh the theology of names and the theology of personhood because um if you actually look into the history of free speech even in america mm -hmm. free speech was not like like the equip like if we went back in time and you were just going around distributing pornographic magazines that would not mm -hmm. have been legal like that would not yeah, have wasn't considered under, free, yeah that, it was, that considered. was not so like free speech was you standing behind your post personhood, you know, going up in the town square, voicing your opinion. Right. So you are your words are an expression of your being. Right. Now, what Han says is there is a separation between your personhood and the your words and what you put out. Um, and then there's a it gets to a point where um, he calls it the shit storm, where everyone's just throwing their opinions out. No consequences, yeah. whatever, whatever. Um, and I don't know, like, uh, I personally, even, even though I made that video where it seems like I'm, you know, I think there's, I think it would, the critiques apply in an ideal world, but when we're yeah. in a world where, um, uh, father of four could put out one wrong uh, opinion and lose his job and all of this stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, 
there has to be some level of ability to be anonymous online, right? right? right. Like you, you, we're presupposing you live in a perfect world. So yeah, what's your what's your take on that? And what um do you do you see the value in what Han and even what Jordan's saying in terms of the shitstorm mm. and the trolls or whatever? Um, I don't see the value in what Jordan Peterson says because mm. of course he's doing it because he's subservient to um a particular uh, content network. Uh, the Daily Wire, and uh, he's become quite influential um, over the thought of, um, a, you know, a certain form of a Semitic thought. And I think that he's doing it because he has essentially, let's call it the eschatological narrative of what has driven Western civilization since World War II, which is that if you allow certain forms of speech to happen, then that certain event in uh, the 40s will happen again. So yeah. um, that's essentially his argument. And, you know, when he talks about I know you, you're anti-Semitic trolls. And it's like, you know, it's like, I seen you, you want to provoke me into a debate. And um, so I think Peterson's uh, spinning out of control and I don't really take him seriously in terms of what he's putting out right now. But I, I mean, who knows if uh, uh, that's a weird thing it's between him and his daughter too, but I'm not going to get into it. You know, it's just, there's a lot of sussy Baca stuff going on with George <laughs> Peterson since he came out of that Russian psychiatric institution. So um, no, I think that, um, when it comes to the serious argument, which is Byung Cho Han's argument, mm -hmm. I think that you know it's it's hard to sort of argue with him in the sense that it's true that anonymity creates a digital swarm, but at the same time, there's a way that you can use that global brain for truly subversive and reactionary discourse that cannot traditionally be spoken of in you know like hyperliberal modernity for a variety <laughs> of reasons. And so I think that when it comes to the digital swarm itself, that swarm isn't blind. It can have a shape. It can have, um, it, it's fickle, like all hell, of course, but it can have a mind to it. It can have a sort of, um, it's like what Orson Welles described as the audience being this, you know, destructive, chaotic maw that has passions and you can sway them like a lion tamer with a chair and a whip. And, you know, it's like, the digital swarm is very much that entity. It's something like you need anons. My personal belief is that you need face lords and anons. You need someone like me and someone like you to go out there and be brave enough and to you know, serve you and not care about being canceled or whatever um, to the point where you can move discourse in ways that I think holds you to a more nuanced position. But the argument that I have from anons and there's people like Bronze Age Pervert who don't who you know distrust all quote unquote face F slurs, if you know you know the 4chan lingo, um, they say that anonymity provides you the ability to create discourse and to create ideas and to troll and to do activities that you normally wouldn't be able to, because you were sort of taking off the brakes of the conscious criticism. You're sort of sinking yourself into a total um how should I say it, into a vitality and a violence that you're committing online by transgressing the norms. But someone like Byung-Chul Han says, yeah, that's the problem, though. Yeah. Because you're just yeah. transgressing norms to the point where you're not being very productive in your anonymity, anonymity. You're just essentially just transgressing all the time to the point where it becomes, you know, you're transgressing to the point of exhaustion. Like, how many times can you make the same jokes about, you know, that event that happened in the 
that have been, you know, the four years. Like how many, how many jokes is there you can make? How many times can you point, you know, uh, I don't know. Like how many times can you post the race and IQ statistics? It's like, yeah, a lot of it's very funny and very transgressive and very necessary, but at the same time, it's like the sort of, I shouldn't even use this term because I don't like Matt Crumps uses this term. Um, you know, it's like the genesis of trolling can only go so far to the mm. point where that becomes a sort of like thanatos. It doesn't, it's so you're mm. so overjoyed and transgressing to the point of exhaustion. But I still think that anonymity does provide a sort of vitality because the anons move things forward. The anons, if anything, cleanse things within a holy fire of right. like, you know, coal posting. It's like the only way to stop yourself from posting coal is if an anon trolls you from posting coal. You need right. to, the only way to effort post, the only way to go to a true spirit of like good ideas and good mm -hmm. posting is in avoiding coal is if you have anons provoking you. Yeah. But, yeah. but that's always a double-edged sword because sometimes the anons, you know, can provoke you into a very um, non-advantageous position. Because it's true, they don't suffer the consequences. But, you know, my belief is that if someone tries hard enough, they will probably want to dox you and they probably will find out who you are. And the world that we live in, unfortunately, uh, that information has been facilitated by organs of power. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully Elon Musk, he's, uh, you know, cracking down on that. Because we do know, without naming names, because these people, but you know, these people are evil. You know, these a lot of these anti-Unilet accounts, they were working with Jannies within Twitter to basically yeah. hand over information and in, in having like, you know, doxing threads and, uh, you know, all this very sussy stuff. And now that you have confirmation that intelligence agencies are working with, and we all knew this, but yeah, now yeah. we have proof yeah. that intelligence agencies are working with social media. Like, that. you know, that's that's kind of like... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like we all yeah. know, but yet now that it's in our face, now that, you know, the savior of the heaven site, Elon Musk has come <laughs> along and given us these gifts. Uh, you the know, African so. savior. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Well, one thing you mentioned, and uh, I think this is a good critique of Han um, is um, you were talking about how the way Han frames the online swarm in um in in the swarm i think it's a little too cynical like what you were saying mm. about uh the ability there is a sense of community there like i've been a part of it you know like i've been uh in these communities for years now and yeah. like like there is a sense of community um it's not just pure malicious trolling like they're still fundamentally humans and with real convictions most people right um right. so like like um, this actually relates to uh, a video I did critiquing Hans in the swarm because what Hans says is that um, I'm mean, actually made this sort of out of uh, 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 based on my uh, adoption of Chad Hag's philosophies to a certain extent. Where of course mm -hmm. Chad, his his thing is that we live in the deep meme of progress, right? And, yes. and yeah. the 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 um, essential worldview of today's progress but han in the sense of time actually says no because for him progress and acceleration implies a connection between temporal moments so that you can have a progressive movement but he's like no we live in complete atomized point time there are no connections but it's like just mm -hmm. speaking 
phenomenologically, like on a common sense level, obviously there's the ability to form connections between past and future. Like there is right. that basic, basic sense in which even if we've moved more towards an atomized sense of time, yeah. there still is like, it's not fully, I would say fully there as Christians, the full atomization of time would just be like hell. It would just be the eternity of hell. That literally is hell. Yeah, it's like you never go anywhere. Hell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there is this great um, creepypasta short story. Uh, it was called The City of Gehenna, you know, mm -hmm. and as you know, Gehenna being like the historic yep. Yep. city in hell, where essentially you keep reincarnating over and over again. And like there's no food. So eventually you'll die of starvation. Right. And um, essentially you can't progress. And like that's essentially what hell is. It's like there's no yeah. progression. There's no moving forward in life, more or less. You know? Yeah, no. Yeah, so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So like, I think the same thing is like, he's a little too cynical with, obviously we don't live in complete absolute point time. If you define point time as the inability to form connections between past and future, what he calls temporal gathering, mm. obviously we can still do so. So like, it's the same thing. Like we can still, there is a sense in which there is structure to time. There is a sense in which there can be a structure to the digital swarm. It's just, yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's recursion as well. That's what he would say too, is that. Like there's right, always like yeah. digital media, for instance, has complicated this relationship to the past because precisely because we can recall through the apparatus of digital right. techniques. But then when we recall, there's still those impersonal things that, you know, really relate to memory and relate to the scent of time, relate to what Proust would call virtual time. When you remember, recollect something that has a deeper significance to you, like all of that's still there. It's just that are we viewing the actual real thing that we filmed or are we viewing still just an approximation of memory? Right. Because we can view something like, you know, I get nostalgic when I see videos of Clifton Hill from like 1999 that are on YouTube. It's like, you know, it's like, Oh, I was there when I was a kid in 1999 in Clifton Hill. But it's like, is that real? Like it's real. It was real, but it's very interesting how, you sort of those tricks of memory are still there. Mm -hmm. um, you can still create a narrative from it. But Young Chohan would say like the capacity for narrativization that sort of diminishes with the world that we're living in. You know, we're not, um, there was a, like today there was some like AI programmer that got ratioed because he was saying about how, you know, oh, like really, because there's going to be such a proliferation of media with AI that really it just makes sense to have personal movies and personal paintings and personal television shows for everybody. Right. Um, and I said, I'm like, so you mean to tell me that the world that we're living in now destroys your capacity for imagination and for memory and for narrativization of things. Yeah. So the AI is just basically going to be like a, you know, a digital crutch that's going to give you the capacity for imagination. It's yeah. like, that's, it's like basically if I were to chop my arm off and use a prosthetic, but not, but like just a normal one, not like some crazy, sexy cyberpunk, you know, all these posthumous people type of prosthesis. No, just like I literally chop my leg off or my arm <laughs> and have a new one. It's like, why would you do that? Why? Like the human imagination is mythic. It, 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 it The structure of mythos and recollection, there's something there. There's a sort of autopoiesis to imagination. Right. That right. an AI wouldn't be able to approximate, at least in my opinion. I mean, I come down pretty hard in AI because as an artist, I don't want to be replaced. But, you yeah. know, it's like, 
I, I just think that an approximation yeah. of something is never going to truly get to that thing. But the Mian Chance is that, you know, the real black pill reality, and he says in psychopolitics as well, the real black pill reality is people like it. You know, yeah. people like the slop. People, people, you know, people like the simulation. They love mm-hmm. it. You know, it's like, you, it's a, such a cynical way to look at humanity. But it, it is sort of like that, you know, stereotypical, like I made it out of Plato's cave and therefore the people that are in it, like, you know, they, yeah. they're wrestling with you to get rid of, you know, to keep their chains on. It's like, that's what they want, you know? And it's like, how are you going to get past that? Because people have been habituated towards that because there's, in what what does Byung Chohan say? Well, there's no longer that old world recognition, that sort of Christian heliocentric world yep. that can give us meaning that is right there. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's like people are too used to the sea. Heliocentric. Of like, yeah, heliocentric. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what Slaughter did. Heli- yeah. He- heliocentric is sun. Sun. No, sun. but like, you know, like the Christian universe being like the, emanating from one source. Right. 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 Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The spherical universe. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's like, you know, it's like we no longer have that. So most people have been accustomed to essentially living this, like, you know, whatever like reactionary adjective you want, bug, bug mm-hmm. man, last mm-hmm. man, individual, um, you know, you name it, the bug, bug, soy, soy jack, like it's yep. bug soy, like, they, like you name it, like live in the pot, eat the bugs. Like it's people will love that because people, <laughs> you know, it's like, um, Oh, of course, that's probably not the way that you should view it if you were viewing, uh, like you know, the sort of Christian pursuit of universal salvation. Mm. But even that doesn't entail like it's a universalism, but it's not like a universalism of particulars. Right. You know, a lot of these like weirdo left caths and Christian socialists and liberation theology people, they think that like Christ, I don't know, they thought Christ was a Marxist or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like they they th- they think that you know. There's people that believe there's, you know, a lot of like these church type people that go to divinity schools, like they, they stay, say stuff like, oh, you know, um, like Christianity, like salvation means there's going to be no gender and no hierarchy and no class. And it's like, you're going to, you know, the angels ha- were, didn't have a gender and it's, it's like, what are you going to do with that? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. it's like a product, like, again, that's the problem I feel, but then you have the other side too, which is. I know I'm just ranting right now, but the other side would be like the the sort of like, which I notice in the online right, which is a lot of these like trad Christian ortho Catholic spheres, they sort of use um, Christianity as like a political badge or a political bludgeon that is sort of, again, like a mark, a signifier of like, I am based, I am trad, I am this, like, mm-hmm. or like, I am a, why am I a Christian? Because I'm based in right wing. Why am I a trad cath? Because I hate women. Uh, you know, it's like, why am I? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe a lot of us are trad cats because we hate women, but it's like, whatever. It's like the point, the point being is like, that's the other extreme of taking a very hollowed out version of faith mm-hmm. and applying it to your particular ideology that suits right. you in the moment. The way that like a left cath would, like a Liz Brunig would be like, well, you know, maybe it's like cool that I, she said this, by the way, it's cool that, when I take my baby out in the subway that there's someone shooting up heroin next to me. Cause it's like, Oh, well, that's a Christian thing to do. It's like the Christian thing to do yeah. is to help them not to like condone a society that makes it cool to like have people shooting up heroin next <laughs> to you and your children. Like, the, yeah. you know, so yeah. Yeah. I'm just yeah. ranting. I'm just picking on Liz Brunig, but you know, <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. Um, I mean, <laughs> just to sort of 
come to a close though, I guess. Something you mentioned um about this hollow. I can go out. for hours on this if you want. Well, I I got a I got my cousin here, so we kind of gotta uh I gotta get going soon. But we can have oh, another no problem, no problem. I, I wanna have another talk sometime. Yeah, uh, sure. But um uh yeah, sorry, uh what what I was saying about what, what you mentioned about sort of the hollowed out, I mean uh ideologies and identities, whether right or left, you know. Um something that in terms of my hermeneutic when it comes to philosophy, um, something that I really like to see is the way in which modern philosophy can inform Christianity, not just in the sense of, mm. like Han says, if you read Agony of Eros, like the stuff he says about otherness and all this stuff, it's like you can just take that into a Christian framework pretty oh. much wholesale, right? Yeah. But then there's stuff with like Zizek, for example, where he's describing the subject and stuff. And like my way of... Uh, because Christianity has this dimension of sin, the fall, hell, there's a lot of ways in which you can incorporate stuff like psychoanalysis, Zizekian philosophy of subjectivity, all this stuff, and be like, like my thesis is that Zizek's subject, like the way he describes the void and stuff, that is just hell, right? So yeah. like that that sort of like, so like with stuff like um, the scent of time, all like his understanding of time, and then just all these other philosophies, I think you can... Um, form like a and especially what like with the death of god i think this is one of right. the most central co concepts which is a very christian concept and i think looking back the way we're going to emerge out of this situation whenever the collapse of this particular society or order that we have occurs the way we're going to come out is we're going to have a narrative that's going to fit with the christian narrative like it the holy spirit is work this is a church age we are moving towards christ mm. and the the way philosophy fits in with this and just the way the world is right now with the death of god everywhere you see it right it will be fit in into a coherent narrative where we will mm. see what what does apostasy lead to well right. exactly what christ predicted exactly mm. what was predicted and um that's sort of my what I liked with these leftists and um, philosophers, and 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 that's what I've I've seen with m these uh, right wingers who are less and, and Christians who are less open minded about this. Um, they oftentimes don't um, they don't have the universal aspect of Christianity, like mm. as the capital T truth. Every particular truth that whatever philosopher comes to can be incorporated in its own way right you well, just yeah like the, the richard higgins thesis right like that exactly right yeah. so like that's kind of what i like to do with this and i think we did we did that with uh with han today uh we uh i think we covered uh, a decent amount uh, of stuff uh yeah any any closing comments that well, you have one thing i would say is i would caution that um you know you know even before before memerson uh i was a young i still am you know a young yin and uh Mm -hmm. I think that the problem I would say that when it comes to psychoanalysis, especially like, you know, post-Freudian psychoanalysis, whether it's Lacan or whatnot, is that I would say that a lot of elements are initially hostile to Christianity in the sense of the way that Christianity does picture the subject. And I would say, yeah. I would express a word of caution that the sort of atopalizing subject is in itself um, a sort of inversion of the Christian notion of the self. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as an imagio die, but yeah. but that being said, like there are many aspects of psychoanalysis that are apt, but I just think that the application of it was sort of like kind of like what Marxism was to Western academia, kind of like what um, I'm trying to think, uh, kind of like certain elements of Nietzscheanism was essentially not, not Nietzsche as a whole, but like I mean certain 
appropriations of Nietzsche became like the sort of weaponized bludgeon against Christianity or the lingering influences of Christ, you know, the Christian world um, in the West in the 20th century. But I would say that nowadays that psychoanalysis is being opened up. Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, certain elements of Gestalt therapy, uh, certain elements, I mean, most of Carl Jung, although I would say that Jung uh, has almost kind of like a neo-gnostic approach to his own faith, you know, the faith that he was raised and his father was a Lutheran minister. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, it's like these, this stuff, it is, you have to read this stuff, I think. I, I agree with you. I mean, this is, I mean, certainly been the backbone of my online career. But, you know, that being said, I mean, I think that all philosophy, either via negativa or in its embrace, will always come back to that original sort of Christian moment, yeah. regardless. This is all of Western philosophy. This mm -hmm. is, you know, as much as they want to rebel against it, that's just a reality. As much as, you know, a lot of the French have, a especially the French, have like a very... <laughs> very strained, complicated relationship to the Catholic church, especially Satra. Uh, you know, still there's always that begrudging, begrudging, especially the French, there's always that begrudging recognition that all of these foundations, even though they think they're monstrous and evil or whatever, were laid, uh, laid down by Christendom. So a lot of the hostility I think is understandable, especially the political right. Mm -hmm. But I think that nowadays, I mean, there's more of a sort of, amicable reading of a lot of these like what would you call new left thinkers or continental thinkers on the political yeah. right than ever and you know this th i like to think i was a, i am a contributor to that you know with me my stuff uh there's people that came before me that have been doing that you know um i hate to say it even people i don't particularly like like the the hairdo the well-coiffed uh you know montanan guy uh <laughs> he you know his journal was doing a lot of the similar stuff you know uh, but not to... oh man got it you know what i'm talking about right like i'm not I, I don't richard know spencer richard spencer oh, oh uh, gotcha okay know? okay yeah like <laughs> yeah as much as i detest him yeah i gotta admit he was one of the first to like say that maybe some of these new left thinkers you know but okay uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah 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 you know him and jonathan bowden for instance when he was mm -hmm. What's kind of a shame that, you know, he was the guy that was the last one to interview Jonathan Bell. And that's a real shame. But, yeah. you know, um, uh, yeah, but this has been great, though. I think we did cover a lot of ground. There's obviously a lot more to talk about. But, um, yeah, I think that it's it, we do live in interesting times. I think that as time goes on, these thinkers, especially Byung Chahan, will start to sort of there will start to be revealing that, you know, these things are of critical importance. You know, there's yeah. this one interview that he did recently, I think, or last year, where he said that he approaches writing philosophy the way that a poet and an artist would approach the work of art. Right. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting. It's very refreshing. And it's very, it's easy to get into these works as well. It's, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's not, um, it's, it's, yes, you have to have a background, but I think that it's very much of a, a, a more enjoyable read than if you were to, well, tackle less than nothing or something yeah. right by Zizek. Yeah. so yeah yeah sure. uh, but of course like the, the problem is like a lot of these philosophers get memed on especially Zizek. like who, who how do people know Zizek? the memes right yeah exactly the, the lectures yeah. you know so yeah. but yeah all right but no this, well, is great, man. this is great yeah awesome yeah thank you for coming on and uh i'll just remind everyone got all your uh all your links everything in the description and uh and yeah 